0: folks and welcome back to Playing Crazy Down Under, the podcast where every week or so we discuss the world of aviation and look at it from an Australia-Pacific point of view. From the far-flung southern suburbs of Melbourne, Australia, I'm Steve Fisher and with me this week is Grant McHarran. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate, not too bad. And joining us again from the beautiful city of Adelaide, South Australia, it's Bez Sheffers. G'day, mate. Uh,
1: good day, how are you? Very well, very well. How's it going over west there, mate? Oh, it's, you know, we're
2: always half an hour behind, so...
0: Yeah, just, uh... well, I always said these westies, you know. Yeah, well, you're west of us, south, yeah. somewhere else, apparently. Uh, I hear the sound of annoyed Dutch silence on the other <laughs> end.
2: Uh no, that's not it, I'm just, uh... It's
0: only been three seconds and we've already upset somebody.
2: Yay! <laughs> I know it was just too clever for me. I didn't have a
1: comeback. <laughs> oh come on, that's surprising. You're the man of comebacks. You've,
2: you've, you've... I know. <laughs> do you guys record this stuff way too late?
0: We do. <laughs> Now, folks, we're going back to our uh, usual uh, original news format this week. We've done a couple of uh, special episodes lately, so we've got a fair bit of news to catch up on. We're going to uh, look at some Red Bull Air Race news that we've just found out today. Uh, we're also going to cover the airlines, Qantas, our good friends at Tiger Airways who've been upsetting people again. we got some news on the Royal Flying Doctor service and many, many other things. So uh, let's start with a bit of a wrap-up, uh, guys, of some news that we've been covering in previous episodes. Yeah, let's go for it. And the first one we're going to uh, just uh, go back over again is uh, we're talking about Jeff Dixon's uh, retirement payout from Qantas. And uh, we've we've talked previously about how the shareholders are not a bunch of happy campers uh, looking at the huge amount of money that uh, Jeff Dixon was paid when he left Qantas. Grant, what's the result of the shareholders meeting there? Well, yeah, they managed to get a 42% vote against uh, paying him the
1: money, but uh, that was insufficient to tip things across, and he wound up getting his big payout. It was uh, quite an um, angry meeting um, about that. The, uh, th- there was some discussion of the fact that the meeting was held in Perth to kind of make it harder for, the, uh, for people to get there to cause problems, typically if it's held in the uh, eastern seaboard, uh, people from Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne will make, make the effort to get there. But travelling five hours across the other side of the country did maybe put, the, uh, put a few people off uh, turning up to
0: yell. An article we picked up here uh, recently off uh, AP says that uh, Qantas def- has defended its executive remuneration today as proxy votes indicated a huge protest against its remu- remuneration report. Try saying that three times.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. No, it was it was a bit of a record vote. Apparently, forty-two um, percent is pretty high, and that does make a lot of people's eyes open wide. But it was insufficient to block it entirely. <laughs> you think
2: you got to remember with these uh, things that people who get the most votes, the largest shareholders, are often in the same situation. They're they they are CEOs of of and uh, board members of other organizations, and they also would like those payouts, so they don't want to block them for other people.
0: They want to
1: set precedents.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's very true. This has been dragging on for a long time too. It's uh, it says here that uh, Jeff Dixon stood down. It was actually last year, November mm-hmm. 28, when he uh, stood down in in favour of, of uh, Alan Joyce. So uh, it says here he stayed on to the end of March as a consultant, but uh, nevertheless he's he's sort of not been taking the lead role, and it's been you know nearly twelve months now, and, and still this drags on. So
2: so he hasn't got his money yet. So what's he doing to get by?
0: Yeah. I, oh, you know, I think I saw him on the other
1: on the corner one time. You know, willing to screw up an airline for money. <laughs> It's uh no he's he's doing reasonably well I think uh, he can survive for a, at least a week until he gets his money mate.
0: <laughs> yeah I think too like Ben says it's 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 always the case here where you know it makes a lot of press and it's it's a big figure and people will jump up and down but it's it's always the you know the minority that's that's quite vocal about this and you know. Uh they're only mum and dad shareholders, I guess. They're, never, they're not going to be happy. I know that if I was a Qantas shareholder, I'd probably be one of them who wouldn't be happy. But um, well, It was
1: it was also quite a few institutional shareholders were not happy either. Mm. It wasn't just purely
0: the mum and pop. Well, it looks like uh, it doesn't matter how many, how much people are unhappy, um, he's going to get his money and uh, yep. fly off into the sunset. Correct. It wasn't enough to tip it the other way. And speaking of uh, another article here on the Jetstar Group, of which Qantas is a member. Yes, indeed. Jetstar Group of Companies... Yeah, we're just going to touch back here on the uh, Facebook sacking, as it's been called. We uh, reported a couple of episodes back about a Jetstar flight attendant who'd been uh, suspended on full pay uh, pending an investigation after he contacted uh, some underage passengers on Facebook after a flight that they'd been on. And it's saying here that Jetstar will not say... Whether it has sacked a flight attendant for allegedly harassing a 15 year old female passenger via a social networking site they're not they're not saying whether he did or didn't do it and that's the re- they're not saying that's the
1: reason why they got rid of him but hey guess what
0: he did it and he's gone mm. yeah makes you wonder why you, you th- I'm, I'm kind of interested that they're, they're being tight-lipped about it because you'd think they'd want to get right on top of this and say yeah look okay we're not happy with uh, this individual's behavior and as a result we've um, we've gotten rid of him Maybe there's more to the story than we're being told. Yeah, the
1: plot thickens, eh? Oh, yeah. We'll have to keep an eye out and see what else comes up on that one. It could be some juicy
0: gossip. Something for us to talk about at any rate.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'll always help. Okay. But speaking of stuff to talk about, we've got some big news for next year. That's the Red Bull Air Race. Yay. It's coming
0: down under. Woo-hoo. All right. Yeah, of course, that hadn't been, well, it had been talked about for quite some time that it would be coming back in April next year, but uh, nothing had been confirmed up until, uh, is it this week? I haven't seen a lot of news, but it looks like it's been confirmed this week that the Red Bull Air Race will indeed be coming back to the wonderful city of Perth over in Western Australia for uh, the weekend of April 17th and 18th, 2010. So fantastic news. Uh, Grant, have you booked our tickets yet?
1: Uh, not quite yet. I've been too busy joining the massing hordes who have been doing much rejoicing.
2: I was going to say I know one group that wasn't uh, entirely rejoicing uh, right now because just some other breaking news. There's going to be a Parafield air show in 2010. Uh, i just heard ooh. from someone who is uh, who is organizing it. I was uh, on the board of uh, organizing it. Yeah, they were going to do it on the weekend before the uh, NZAC Day weekend, ah. which <laughs> now is the red bull air race um so they're probably going to move that uh not sure when but uh look forward to that as well early uh, uh 2010 about april time there should be a perryfield air show to go to awesome well we
0: can head to that one on the way back from perth mate oh and yeah. if, if it's around the same time yeah
1: bring your binoculars and you just look down <laughs> yeah. ladies and gentlemen we're now cruising an altitude of thirty-eight thousand feet and if you care to look down to your right those three dots down there are actually f-18s doing a formation
2: flight <laughs> You reckon we've got three f eighteens oh, I was trying to be nice for you mate Well, maybe if they if they send three only two of them will become unserviceable and we end up with one lovely <laughs> you could have three sports stars I suppose <laughs> uh, they'll be easy enough. there's lots of those in uh, in South Australia yeah and
0: uh, bass uh, you're gonna come back uh, a bit later on in the show we're uh, talking about some uh, more stuff in recreational aviation I think is that right?
2: Absolutely, there have been some uh, developments. that will be uh, interesting to uh, discuss, and we'll also uh, have a talk a bit later about the Jamestown Airshow that was uh, that was on uh, a few weeks ago here, and that I slightly hinted to uh, before with the F-18 remark. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a
0: happy man he's not happy uh, i'm getting that feeling mate. i'm getting that feeling he's, uh,
2: just disappointed
0: actually it's been quite a weekend uh, for uh, air shows around the place um people who might have been following our, our website or our facebook page might have noticed that we did advertise that uh, we were going to head up to tomorrow to uh, go to the flying up there however uh, we were uh, due to a bit of a last minute technical hitch we were unable to make it up there so uh, we can't give you a report on what happened, but uh, I have been uh, plugging away on Twitter and, uh, and other sources there if uh, any of our listeners were at tomorrow and would like to send us in a uh, an audio clip or even just a bit of an email just to let us know uh, what went on and give us an idea of uh, how the flying was going up there. We'd uh, certainly appreciate that, folks. Yeah, unfortunately we couldn't make tomorrow, but hey, to make up for it, we went and played with the DC3. Yeah, <sighs> and uh, we'll talk a bit more about that a little bit later on in the show. But uh, For now, let's get stuck into some uh, news news stories why don't we do that ah new news new news news from new zealand this week rocket lab primed to launch new zealand's first rocket into space that's right they're going to
1: launch the uh, tier one which is a sounding rocket it's uh going to go from um great mercury island uh, and they're going to launch it up it's uh design going to be the first privately built rocket launch from the southern hemisphere it's actually going to enter space by going to about 120 miles i believe it is they're going to go up there and have a look around they call them sounding rockets they go up and come back down with a parachute for the payload uh but the big thing about this one is that it's using an eco-friendly uh rocket fuel technology
0: yeah, so it's a hybrid then
1: yeah yeah Oh, someone's really? been reading the article. But yeah, the emissions from the engine are non-toxic as opposed to traditional launch platforms. So, uh, Oh, how yeah. bull is that? Yeah, I know, I know. They still get the plumes and smoke and all that, but it's just not bad for you.
0: It says here in this article that we got off uh, voxy.co.nz, uh, this company uh, says they've been, uh, for the past four months, the test program for the full scale motor has been carried out at Air New Zealand's Auckland Engineering Base with the rocket motor secured to a test rig in the airline's uh, jet engine test cell. That would have been interesting to get over and have a look at for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was some talk they were going to strap it onto one of the 747s and do the test around the same time they are doing that biofuel thing, but, you know, sanity prevailed. One part of interest on this is I've I've made contact with the guys, they're very very busy getting ready for their launch in November and it uh, looks like we might be lucky and have a chat with them after the launch and see how it all went maybe get them on the show.
0: Yep, so uh, we know we do have a few listeners over there in the land of the long white cloud so we'd, we'd certainly appreciate uh, once again <laughs> some reports. Anybody who manages to uh, to see this or get some re- news reports if they could send those over to us. It's um, sometimes a little difficult to keep up on New Zealand news but we'd really like to have a bit more of a Kiwi focus as we go forward with the podcast so, uh, yeah, to any of our Kiwi listeners, please uh, help us out with that. It'd be great. Always, always looking for new content and so on.
1: So moving along, our next, our next article is uh, is a piece uh, that we picked up from the Sydney Morning Herald, thanks to uh, Jeremy. He uh, pointed us at this one, and it's uh, saying that there's fears of an aviation catastrophe over Sydney after it was revealed an average of 10 near misses occur between aircraft using New South
0: Wales airspace every year. Oops. Dun, dun, dun. I'm surprised that number is only that low,
1: actually. Yeah, I know. And, and is it the whole of New South Wales or just around the Sydney Basin?
0: Yeah, yeah. That'd be that'd be more the point, surely, yeah. It's saying here increasingly crowded skies and a possible and a possible. So that's you know. Yeah. That's, that's weird in itself. A possible second international airport for Sydney have added two concerns of major airlines, safety groups and campaigners who say significant extra investment is needed to manage air traffic safely. Oh, the, the
2: armchair experts are out again in force. Well, at least they're uh, they're looking for uh, investment in managing it rather than saying we shouldn't fly at all.
0: Yeah, there is that plus. Yeah, well, they, you know, they've only just climbed up on the soapbox. They haven't even got warmed up yet, obviously.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. You also got to wonder what uh, what constitutes a near miss. Uh, is Casa's rule for a near miss, uh, when you you know get within about ten miles of each other, uh, whereas other busier airspaces are near misses when you actually you know touch wingtips, <laughs> wave at each other. Yeah, uh, yeah no,
0: uh... and not only that, we need to look at what how many of these aircraft are. I mean, what are we talking? Are we talking about large commercial passenger air jets coming in into uh, close proximity to other commercial jets, or is it large jets coming into proximity with small Cessnas and things like that? Now, is that what we're talking about here? Are we talking about GA versus Versus GA or GA versus RA. It'd be interesting to see what the breakdown of that report is. It's, it's saying here it's uh, since January 2007, there's been 32 near misses between civil aircraft over Sydney, the worst of which involved a twin-engine Saab coming close to hitting a helicopter over the CBD. OK, there you go. There's there's two light aircraft, but um, it'd be interesting to oh, hang on, they break those down. Rex might be a little upset you calling a Saab 340 a light aircraft, but you know. Yeah, well, lighter aircraft. Hello yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to our friends at Rex. We'd love an interview sometime
2: <laughs> oh, well, like, like our friends on the uh, the uncontrolled airspace, we shouldn't be calling it light aircraft or small aircraft. We call the Rex plane's private aircraft, shall we? Private aircraft what, what do they call
0: the uh... it's, a re- it's a regional aircraft It's carrying a, It's operating under You know People are paying
1: money To go and fly It's not a personal air transport device Or anything like that It's This is this The Saab's
0: A, a, a regional airliner man But uh, what are they calling Over there at UCAP They're calling them uh, Light aircraft Personal personal aircraft Is that what yeah. they are Oh yeah Personal aircraft Yeah, well, yeah Personal I... transportation system Yeah Well I kind of like that I kind of like that Expression actually <laughs> Yeah but I don't think the Saab Quite
1: counts at that area But um, you know The Cessna The Cirrus
0: and the the sports star
1: and all that they definitely come under personal transportation system but yeah the, look the thing the thing with this is that there's a lot of a lot of aircraft in the in the air around Sydney and the um, Sydney approaches and departures are pretty complex because you know it changes depending on which government's in power and which area because they don't want the aircraft flying over their voters the joke is that's one of the reasons why they've shut down mostly shut down that uh, cross runway it's because it goes over too many um, voting public it's it's all adding up to making life kind of difficult and thus the concerns you've got uh you know 737 came close to hitting an airbus and another saab came close to hitting boeing 767 so i mean the standard air prox i think is um, five nautical miles and a thousand feet
0: this may be having a uh, playing a big factor in CASA's decision to um shut down the gap procedures uh what is it from april next year and uh, moving everything into uh, class d airspace maybe to allow a bit more uh tight control of aircraft movements in, in congested areas such as Sydney. Sydney would be obviously the, the, the most prominent example of what we're talking about here. It is a, With it is a very busy hub. Yeah, what
2: what do you reckon, Baz? Yeah, of course it's going to be, uh, If the, when it gets busier, you, you need to manage it better, but on the on the scale of things and looking worldwide, I can't imagine Sydney being uh, that much of a problem.
1: Yeah, it just depends on how many other, I mean, you know, Baz, we were talking earlier before we started recording about uh, Chicago, O'Hare and places like that where, yeah, there's a lot more movements but uh, perhaps they're a little bit more segregated away from the light aircraft, things like that
2: nope, Not really, you hear about yeah. a lot of light aircraft just going through the same airspace, because um, uh, that's, that's much more open in the US I mean, you file a plan, you go through um, and What's people it? do it all the time I think the point in the U.S. is that they are much more
0: accustomed to handling a much higher volumes of uh, aircraft, particularly in their, um, you know, their more congested areas. I, I spend a lot of time, for instance, flying in around the, uh, the Memphis area. Now, you might say Memphis, that's a small city, but it's, it's a major hub there for FedEx. Yeah. You've got a lot of the major airlines coming in there so when you've got someone like me pottering in and i was assessed 172 and they've got a lot of little satellite airports around Memphis International, you know, they, they seem to well, at least when I was there, they seemed to handle it quite efficiently when you were coming in there. You know, you could call in and get radar flight following even if you requested it. You know, they, they'd be quite happy. It was obviously advantageous to them to give you a squawk code and be able to at least, even if you're operating VFR you know, they could manage you much more efficiently if they knew who you were and where you were going and you know, uh, in my experience they, they seem uh, quite willing to do that coming down here um, although a lot of flight rules and procedures have changed here since I came back to Australia and um, I'm, I'm now getting back into the flying game and, and finding out just how much it's changed it'd be interesting <laughs> to know now you know, what sort of flexibility they air traffic controllers um, have to accommodate VFR movements and particularly in high density areas like Sydney and Melbourne uh, I know we've got a, uh, quite a few air traffic controllers who listen to the show so uh, I'm sure they can give us some input on that but yeah, we, it would be interesting to know obviously places like uh, Moorabbin where they have a much uh, larger training program now with all these international flying schools. There, there is a lot more traffic buzzing around those airports. So you know, the, the controllers have to be getting will obviously be more accustomed now to dealing with high, higher traffic volumes. I guess is where I'm trying to go with this. So,
1: well, no doubt we'll get to hear a little bit more on it uh, when we get a couple of the um, the controllers together with us to have a chat.
2: Yeah, I know in uh, here in Adelaide they're very conservative when it comes to separation, and they'll make you hold. And uh, I mean. One one of the popular routes here is going 500 feet offshore, which is you know past Adelaide Airport, and uh, yeah, they'll they'll continually make you hold for uh, for departing flights that might be going over you. But you know those airlines, you've seen the climb rates. By the time that if you're going 500 feet up the coast, they'll be probably 1500 feet above you by the time uh, uh, they actually pass. Uh, yeah. But yeah, they'll make you hold. Well, is that wake turbulence related? Uh, no, it wouldn't be because they're passing so high. Over okay. you, they just they just seem to be very conservative. But how are the traffic
0: volumes over there, Baz, at uh, Parafield and around Adelaide? Uh, you know, they probably maybe not quite as high as, as Melbourne or Sydney, but um, do they? You still find there's these periods where it's you know quite congested
2: over there. I don't find it congested. The controllers seem to find it congested, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. Well, okay. We've um, probably covered that much as one well, as much as we can. So we'll leave it there for now. But as always, we'll keep a, a close eye on it. And
1: yeah, and we can bring it up when we chat with the guys at a later date. I guess. We're Allowed to telegraph this one. Uh, yeah, we, we do have a booking for chatting with a couple of air traffic controllers. So maybe we can discuss this a bit then. If
0: I can just get my
1: schedule worked out. <laughs> well, we've got a date booked. Hopefully we can hit it this time. Yeah. But moving along and back to the Jetstar group, I mean, sorry, the Qantas group. Yes. Uh, we've, we find that uh, Qantas have painted up a special library on a uh, 747 in support of the Socceroos, the Australian uh, international soccer team. It's an interesting photo we've found here on australianaviation.com.au and uh, shows a green and gold banner going down the side of the plane saying the Qantas Socceroos. So... Well, Reckon, guys, pretty cool.
0: Yeah, good photo opportunity for plane spotters. I should uh, try to track when that aircraft's coming into Melbourne and get out there with the old camera. Yeah, you know, it's certainly quite different to the
1: one uh, Jerry dreaming in so on The aircraft, the Qantas have a seven three and a seven four that have both been uh, painted up in Aboriginal mural colours and uh, very distinctive. And yeah, this one's pretty much the same as the Qantas general uh, colours, except for the big banner down the side. So it's it's almost like they've hung it out the door, isn't it? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it does look a bit like that. <laughs> so sort of like they're on their way to the show,
1: <laughs> to the
0: game. Uh, Qantas is the naming right sponsor of the Socceroos, and it says here in this article they've uh, committed to that sponsorship out to March two thousand and twelve. So I guess that aircraft will be carrying that banner until then.
1: Yeah, well, it's apparently going to be the one that uh, flies the team when they're when they're travelling internationally as well. They'll be on that plane.
0: I wonder if they uh, if they try and beat the booty average for you know for. How many cans are consumed on a flight between Melbourne and London? I wonder if the Socceroos have a similar ethos when they're travelling. Oh my God, that's pretty scary. They'd have to tow another plane behind to carry all the beer. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't think
1: anyone could be as uh, as drinking as uh, some of the cricket guys. Yeah, yeah. Probably
0: speaking of things that would make you want to have a drink.
1: Yeah, very nice segue, I was just going to say. And how do we bring into this one? And yeah, having a drink, because uh, there's been a couple of uh, maintenance issues recently in the news. The the first one just happened in the last couple of days. And that was a Jetstar flight uh, landing at Newcastle and experiencing an engine fire. Sounds like they had some um, spilled fuel and so on that uh, caught fire.
0: I love, the, I love the, the final paragraph in the article we see here on the uh, ABC News article that we got here. And it says, it's believed the fire was caused by residual fuel in the plane's tailpipe yeah
2: <laughs> yes i read that
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it was probably that hotted up jet star a320 with you know with the tailpipes coming out the side you know probably had a bit of a lumpy cam in it you know. yeah yeah
1: yeah the one, the one with the fluffy dice in the cockpit
0: oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah mate
0: yeah anyway so uh, it's only a quick article that we're actually we're recording this on the uh, 28th of october and this article actually only came out this morning so um yeah, the only photos that we could find of this or any any images at all were just stock photos of jet star aircraft uh, i don't know uh hopefully in the next few days we might be able to uh, find some video footage perhaps but uh, well, i don't think it would have been that much of a fire probably just a bit of a flame out and that'd be it
2: yeah they didn't even need to actually extinguish it it just went out by itself
0: yeah well
2: yeah the, but hey they still evacuated let's get those slides going
0: yeah must have been a
2: must have been a slow news day
1: Well, that's what they're indicating. They're indicating it was a slide one, but I haven't had confirmation they popped the slide. So it may just have been a uh, very quick everyone off kind of moment. But uh, we'll get you more news when we've got it, let you know. But uh, one we do have a lot of information about is uh, over with our mates at uh, Virgin Blue. Where some of you may remember a while back, uh, Virgin Blue had the embarrassing situation of a nose wheel continuing along the runway after the aircraft took off. The 737 on takeoff had one of the two nose wheels share off and continue down the run, bouncing down the runway as the aircraft rotated and went skyward. Well, just recently, uh, within the last week, they, uh, they've turned around and had a wheel disintegrate on landing. The same kind of thing. They've gone into land and one of the nose wheels, the hubs actually disintegrated. Once again, in both cases, uh, indication are that it was corrosion in the nose wheel axle regardless of the cause and so on this this issue has raised an interesting confrontation between virgin blue management and the um, australian uh, licensed aircraft engineers association the union of uh, engineers as virgin is in the process at the moment of changing its maintenance procedures hey guys
0: yeah this uh plays right into the hands of the uh, Lammies union and um, sometimes when you look at these things you, you know you could say who could really blame them for being upset the association's president uh gentleman by the name of paul cousins uh wants all virgin blue planes to be inspected immediately since we have to look at all their main landing gears in the vicinity of where the breakdown has occurred and just to make sure that there's no evidence uh, of cracking or fractures that may lead us to another incident yeah they're they're not happy and of course it's going backwards and forwards Virgin Blue is uh rejecting all this criticism well the the part of it is because uh Virgin Blue is changing the way it does
1: its maintenance checks currently every day an engineer a licensed engineer is required to do a checkout of the aircraft they're shifting that to be a um, just a general engineer Virgin are wanting to replace that licensed aeronautical maintenance engineer the LAMI with a general engineer who does the quick work walk around they're also pushing the weekly checks out to every 15 days and a lot of this is being done with Cass's blessing so now suddenly you're getting these maintenance issues and uh it's yes there's an issue happening um as as qantas have discovered when they went through and had their issues it raises a lot of attention but uh it also can be used as a bargaining chip and a um bonus contention point for two parties that are having some interesting negotiations and i think once again follow the money should be remembered here when we watch both parties and their discussions
0: yeah i hark back uh, guys to the days when um was first mooted to have deregulation of the airline industry in this country, and that was the catch cry you heard the whole time. You know, what's it, have a look at over in the US was it, you know look at how many crashes they have over there. Although to be fair, I don't think they had that many. But uh, you know, the big fear at that time was that if we deregulate the industry in this manner, it's going to lead to um, you know reductions in the quality of service on the aircraft and mm. reductions in reliability, and um, in the worst case. Scenario, you know, uh, crashes and or fatalities. Um, now we haven't had any fatalities, and to be fair, we haven't even had any crashes. We are well, increasing this sort of thing, and uh, one wonders: is that, for instance, is that because airlines in this country are a lot more active than they once were? I mean, they are flying, you know, literally flying the wings off these things these days. They're, they're, you know, they they have them in the air as much as they can, a lot more than perhaps they did back in the 70s and 80s. Is that is that playing a factor, or is it also a factor that um, the inspection regime has perhaps been somewhat relaxed?
2: I think the, the first one's probably got a lot to do with it the being used more, uh, the way the human brain works. We like to see patterns, so we've got two uh, problems with the wheels, and they're talking about changing their maintenance regime, and, you know, we tie two and two together when they're not necessarily related, because, yeah, they may have changed from, uh, from going from weekly inspections to uh, fortnightly, but a wheel uh, doesn't corrode through in seven days. No,
0: that's, yeah, that's a point, too.
2: No, exactly. It doesn't do that, and that's that's the thing. It's the um, you
1: know, is it the they've been talking to Boeing about access to these areas to be able to inspect them because they're you know they're quite hard to get to to inspect without stripping the wheel off. Apparently, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to watch where this one goes. The the it's uh, out of interest is the aspect that uh, Qantas were uh, in the process under Dixon exporting their maintenance everywhere. Uh, There was the union coming back in complaining about uh, the quality of the work that was coming back from overseas and uh, you know, all the stuff going on there. And well, I'd say that the union had something to say there because uh, Qantas are now bringing their maintenance back on shore to Australia. Uh, they had their, their spate of scares with aircraft having maintenance issues and was very much under the uh, spotlight of the of the press. But uh, Jetstar is actually setting up a maintenance base and they're going to be uh, training up apprentices all over again, which was one comment that was made over the last five to 10 years was that Qantas had lost all its apprentices well now they're coming back but they're going to be in Jetstar. yep
0: yeah well you, you hear them constantly the politicians constantly going on about a skill shortage in this country well you know there's been far too much of this in the past of, of exporting highly skilled australian jobs offshore to places where it's cheaper um you know you can have a look if you look at it from a straight economic standpoint you can understand why the bean counters want that to happen but it's also a perception problem too mm-hmm. it just looks better yeah, well, so, to see the Aussie aircraft being serviced right here in Australia. I note, for instance, in an article I read somewhere online today that uh, V-Australia, has their maintenance done overseas now you know that's not a good look guys that's not a good look yeah but you got to balance it out they can probably cop a little bit there because say they're new and they're fun and
1: it's pretty hard to get a triple seven serviced over here when there's not that many of them based in australia
0: yeah not yet i
1: know no, the, the way they're expanding there, there will be yeah well,
2: the, the way around that is to build a triple seven service base here in australia because there's lots of foreign airlines that fly into here with their triple sevens who might want to offshore their servicing to here
1: yeah one could only hope although the way the australian dollar is going at the moment that's kind of making it a bit difficult. The um, Aussie dollar is now uh, back up above ninety two cents US per Aussie dollar.
2: Isn't it great?
1: Mm. Yeah, great for us bringing it in, but uh, lousy if you're trying to um, compete and uh, price yourself against the market. But uh, once again, it's back to the old days of Qantas. Why did people fly Qantas? They had a perfect safety record and they had great service. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you if all you're doing is um, is shopping on price, well, guess what? <laughs> you know, you end up flying Tiger, don't you? And you and you get what you pay for. If all you're doing your maintenance on is is price you're going to get what you pay for so there's a race to the bottom mentality when you start looking only at price and the smart operators are the ones who are factoring in and and marketing not on price but on reputation, quality and uh, a lot of things like that. So yes, you pay more for it, but guess what? Uh you get uh aircraft that don't fall out of the sky or have bits drop off them.
0: Yeah, the um the ALAA, the uh Lame's union, they've been um, increasingly vocal lately. Steve Pavenus in particular has been out in the media. Uh this issue is uh, not going to go away in a hurry. Uh, Probably just to close this one off here, a spokesman for Virgin Blue says that uh, Steve Fivuna should be well aware that Virgin Blue is increasing their maintenance schedule to a level that exceeds the manufacturer's recommendations, as well as meeting and in many cases <sighs> exceeding all regulatory requirements. <laughs> Therefore, we find his statements bewildering and misleading. Um, doesn't sound like they're a happy happy lot over there at Virgin Blue. I hope they come to some sort of uh, comfortable arrangement sooner rather than later. It'd be good for everybody all around.
1: Indeed. Hey, this is Rob Mark from Jetwine.com, and you know what? When I'm really, really bored, I listen to what? What's the name of that podcast again?
2: Um, playing, playing crazy down under,
1: right by the the guys from the outback. You mean the steakhouse? Yeah, yeah. They they run the steakhouse. I think.
2: Oh, with care. the Bloomin' onion, oh, right? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's those guys. So on the Barbie and yeah, so Fosters. Well, I knew this they were podcast doing. Podcast like, for
0: beer. Yeah, th- those are the guys. Great podcast. Love the food, too, guys. Keep up the good work. I like my medium rare. <coughs> and they call it a promo? Oh, dear. www.airplanegeeks.com. <laughs> well,
2: gentlemen,
0: you know, no... No report of playing crazy down under would be complete without covering our good friends at Tiger Airways. Oh, oops. Oh, mate. (laughs) Mate, was that the wrong
1: sound effect there or was that your interpretation of their, you know, how to deal with emergency
0: issues? Yeah. well, I'll leave that up to the listeners' imagination. Tiger Airways, they've, they're at it again, upsetting passengers. It's their job. And this time they had to call the police in to guard their staff, so...
1: Yeah, well, that was because it was a flight from Hobart in Tasmania to Melbourne here in Victoria, and uh, it was not the aircraft going unserviceable this time. It was actually a flight attendant taking ill... So um, they were unable to fly the flight because they didn't have sufficient crew. Now, I'm not sure if Tiger operates on a flight attendants per door or a flight attendants per numbers of passengers routine, because you'd think that if it was they ha- for this number of passengers, they must have this number of flight attendants. They could uh, offload a few and uh, fly with one less flight attendant, but uh, not to be. They, uh, they actually had to cancel the flight and uh, tell the passengers it was go- they were going to be stranded in Hobart for three days.
0: That's the kicker. Three whole days. and. It- just comes back to the same thing. They have no contingency plan. They don't have a big enough fleet to be operating to so many destinations. And when, you know, you get an aircraft, well, basically... They can't afford to have an aircraft, they can't even afford to put an aircraft out of position to cover situations such as this. It's just crazy.
1: Yeah, and uh, passengers are getting a whole $120 a night as as compensation for accommodation and offered a flight refund or credit to fly another time. However, some passengers are saying it's kind of hard to uh, get any accommodation and things like that. So,
0: Hmm. Well, I guess if we wanted to take any positive from that, though, that's something that Tiger has not engaged in in the past. And uh, people would be well aware now that uh, when I had the similar experience that was basically nick off, we're not giving you anything. So I'll say this for Tiger Eways, at least they were good enough to provide some form of compensation, uh, no doubt inadequate as it may have been. And also paid later, not on the spot. So you have to put a claim in for it, I
1: believe, which makes it hard if you're coming at the end of a holiday and you're on the way home and you've got almost no money and
0: oops. Short of throwing huge amounts of money and getting more aircraft, I'm sure they have plans to get more aircraft, but obviously that's not a, not something that they can do straight away. What other sort of strategies do you think? If they're going to fly, and I've said this before when they're having trouble up at places like Mackay, which is, you know, a smaller airport, if they're going to be flying or spreading their fleet out across the nation so widely every day, and they've obviously got no ability to cover any sort of contingency such as this a mechanical fault or, you know, in this case a, a, a crew going off sick should they consider shrinking their route network temporarily? Should they make arrangements with other airlines to have some sort of agreement to help them out, you know, obviously at a cost to them But uh, still, at least it's moving their passengers and keeping their passengers happy. Uh, You know, what are some ideas that they could come up with to address this situation, at least in a short term?
1: I'm sure there are better minds than ours trying to figure that one out. Because, uh, yeah, like you said, at first they did absolutely nothing. Now at least they're um, arranging to um, put them up in hotels and so on. But yeah, I, I don't know what you can do in that one. It's it's tricky. The how do you handle that contingency when you don't have a lot? I mean, Pacific Blue, how do they go when they have a plane go US do they have more these days they've got more planes flying but you know you can't just go and grab that virgin blue plane and fly it because it's got, it may, the pacific blue ones fly out of the New Zealand AOC not the Australian AOC
0: I guess it just comes back down to a case of buyer beware and and, and I would say to people if you're considering flying Tiger, sure have a look at their cheap fares but do your homework. For instance, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about this very subject and uh, he flies regularly from Melbourne up to uh, Queensland and his usual plan of attack he tells me is to fly Tiger on the outbound trip but come back with another carrier on the inbound trip Uh, because let's face it, Tiger is based here in Melbourne um, (laughs) and and the theory is that if they can swap aircraft around in, in the event of a, an aircraft going unserviceable that's perhaps a higher likelihood that they can still get on a flight from melbourne uh but mm. you know, uh, getting s- stranded up at cool and or somewhere like that uh it may take quite a lengthy amount of time before they can get another aircraft out there a number of days in fact so uh you know he says he often flies up on on tiger but flies back with jet star or virgin which i actually think so uh, you know quite a quite a smart way of doing business
1: yeah yeah and and it does sound like a pretty good idea but then you look at the next story we've got coming along which is uh, you know where's qantas's main base oh that would be sydney but yet despite that qantas still managed to strand passengers in sydney for 26 hours when they had some problems with a couple of a380s so you know there they were at their hub but they still had problems so this is this is an article from news.com.au where um qantas had problems with two a380s um uh, first one had a hydraulic issue and uh, then the replacement aircraft also experienced technical problems that forced it to be returned to the terminal so they must have all got on the second aircraft and uh so five hours delay decide you can't use the first one get the second one in go to use that oops something else goes wrong and you're back to the terminal so uh yeah quite a while yeah the details of the uh of the aircraft the second aircraft was that they were actually starting their takeoff roll when the flight crew received an engine control message requiring a return to the terminal, and because it was just before 11 o'clock, they wound up striking the uh, Sydney curfew and had to uh, make a night stop. So passengers were provided with overnight accommodation and meals and were booked on other flights late the next day. But, yeah, people are expressing anger. So it looks like it's not just Tiger that has problems with people getting naffed off when things go wrong.
0: Yeah, I guess when uh, you're when you, when you you're flying on Qantas and if you choose to fly on the A380, you pay premium for that privilege, uh, you would expect that they can accommodate you. How many A380s do they have in service now? Is it five or something? I think it's I think the fifth one just came in.
2: One of the problems with these flights is uh, really the you think of Qantas as being, you know, big airline with a big route network and you know Tiger has, has these problems because they've got a, a small number of planes, but when you when you get to and that is that comparison is right if you're flying between Melbourne and Sydney, but Qantas has a you know a limited number of flights that uh, that go, you know, from here. To Europe, and they have to meet up on time with uh, flights in in other destinations. Um, so when you when you get this and you hit the curfew, there's uh, there's really no point in then trying to take off at 6 a.m. because you strand the passengers for the rest of the day in the other airport. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might as well make it a, a 24-hour delay because that's what it would have turned out for the passengers anyway.
0: Yeah, and you've also got yeah. issues with uh, with flight crews and rostering and, and all that sort of stuff. i suppose supposed to think of. I, I don't know how.
2: exactly. I'm surprised that they even could find a uh, that's pretty good They could find a replacement aircraft
0: no it's it was one of those days i guess the, the thing with qantas is they would have the flexibility for instance to be able to perhaps put some passengers on um, 747 services heading off that way perhaps if they wanted although perhaps with the uh, australian dollar strengthening as it is at the moment those aircraft are probably quite full all aircraft probably heading out of this country are quite full at the moment because it's um, Relatively inexpensive to travel overseas from Australia at the moment.
2: Yeah, they usually are. All those all those routes to Europe, they fly those at pretty pretty heavy loads. Um, so it, it's going to be hard to find uh, find seats on uh, on other planes, especially for you know about almost four hundred passengers.
0: Well, Grant, that would make uh, your friend, who's uh, got a phobia about flying on the A380, that probably uh, he'd probably feel quite vindicated by that.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's not happy flying on the A380. He definitely tries to avoid it. I wouldn't call it a phobia. I'd just call it an aversion because it's too new. He wants to see it better, and uh, I imagine, I haven't confirmed this with him yet, but I imagine he would do the same with the 787 when it starts, if it eventually starts.
0: Yeah, well, uh, the way it's going, I'm sure we'll be much closer to every time ages Grant, before that thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I well, like how Baldwin was always going on about the A380 delays and going, oh, 787, it's uh, beyond time, and yeah, no.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were a few people who um, made comments when – there were were times when Boeing was trying to be quiet about it and going, well, you know, these things happen and, oh, yeah, poor competitor. But then they started to get a bit too eating, you know, going on about how cool it was. You know, oh, yeah, Boeing's better and all that. That won't happen with Boeing. And
0: oops – They did uh, get quite cocky. I I remember seeing an email picture going around a photoshopped version of a test A380 that this picture had obviously come from someone in or associated with the Boeing project at the time, and was basically an A380 with about 40 different engines strapped to it all around. (laughs) (laughs) around, Ground. I always thought that was rather nasty. So yeah, I'm sure the people are sitting over there at Toulouse now with uh, raised eyebrows, saying, "Well, you know."
2: (laughs) I think Airbus can say nasty things to Boeing as well because they can say, "Well, our main delay was a couple of cables." that didn't fit
0: your main delay
2: now is the wings breaking off
1: <laughs> yeah well the, the problem is that airbus have to be very damn quiet though because uh they may be getting back on track with the a380 although as we'll find out in a second, it's not perfectly um smooth sailing for the a380 but uh they're having huge problems with their airbus military one is it the m400 uh, i'm not sure of the designation of that one uh, well they're having some problems with their their con- contender against the the one that fits between the c130 and the uh, c17 but they've also got the A350, and they're going to be having the A350 coming out soon. And, you know, the way it's going, well, if they're lucky and everything goes well and the and the sun shines on them, they'll probably be flying the A350 within a year of the 787. So it's it's going to be very interesting. If Boeing gets too many delays, it's going to push it into the area of the A350. But Airbus shouldn't crow. They shouldn't raise any na-na-na-na-na moments because they could very well have problems with the a350 it's still too theoretical at the moment
0: yeah and uh, looking at some other issues here uh, grant to do with Qantas a380s and their delivery program uh, looks like Qantas is uh, not yet happy to take delivery of its next two airbus a380s uh, there's some flight stability problems quote unquote yeah that's right they did have some
1: problems with their uh, fourth one a while back they reported on that and we sort of tongue in cheek said oh that's also kind of handy because if you don't take delivery you don't have to pay well it's happening with another two now and uh they push back their uh, next two until december as you mentioned flight stability problems one wonders what that is but uh it's apparently related to the flight trim so uh you know that's that's quite a bit of scope for what it could actually be but uh yeah they've pushed them back they've said get it right and then we'll take them on so interesting that
0: yeah, it looks to be uh, what they're saying here. There's a couple of articles that we found here. One is on ABC, another one uh, very similar is in the Australian airline, uh, Australian Aviation Magazine's blog. Uh, they're saying here it's a problem with its uh, trim system. Uh, so uh, once again, Steve Pavinis, <laughs> in the media these days, he's saying it's not a safety issue, but it does make the aircraft less efficient. And uh, yes, if it's flying out of trim, that certainly would be the case. So
1: Yeah, but despite all this, Qantas's A380 project has definitely taken out the... Uh, Award for the National Project of the Year by the Australian Institute of Project Managers in Adelaide. It's beat out 107 other submissions to take out the prize. Uh, reading this one from once again Australian aviation our favorite magazine yay hey the Australian Institute of project managers have assessed a number of projects and uh, they've decided that the a3 Qantas a380 introduction project has won the prize because it's gone very well despite the problems that uh, Airbus have introduced so uh, there we go it um, more than two billion dollar projects taken six years involve more than a thousand people and also had to deal with delays from Airbus, so challenging and impressive. So that's why they gave it the Project of the Year.
0: Yeah, it says here they beat 107 other submissions, so that's a pretty impressive feat in itself.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a big
0: project for a big aircraft.
1: So congratulations, Qantas, for getting that award. Now hurry up and get those other ones in, and um, yeah, stop having them go go offline during uh, <laughs> you know, have maintenance problems, guys.
0: Well, let's set some scheduling up, guys, so that um, people who aren't up at, uh, you know, four o'clock in the morning can see them flying to Melbourne. That's very important. 7.30, dude. Well, it was. I haven't uh, seen any
1: lately, but yeah. I haven't been crewing a lot lately, so yeah.
0: Yeah, and if they could just divert one, you know, a little bit south of the airport and fly over my place, I'd be very happy, very, very happy with that.
1: Well, you do realise if you had been out around the time of the uh, grand final, I'm pretty sure that uh, A380 they flew over the grand final probably would have tracked right over Cranbourne on its way to the MCG.
0: It probably did, however I was at work so mm, <laughs> bummer
2: I used to have uh, Concord fly over my house at uh, 6.30 uh, every evening
0: no there's no need to rub it in Baz uh, did, did you have to get special vibration protection Yeah. know <laughs>
2: Well, on uh, you know, it doesn't have its, uh, its its engines running at full whack when uh, when it's coming in, but it was oh. pretty loud. And we had uh, one of my uh, housemates; he uh, yeah, he used to run out whenever he heard it coming. He used to run out and watch it every night. It's worth watching. It was. Oh yeah, maybe not every night.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, sometimes he was somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be terrible to live in a situation where watching the uh, you know watching the Concorde come over just became such a regular thing? It became boring, how awful. <laughs> 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 oh yeah it's
1: like uh, friends of mine used to live close to brisbane airport and they had a um, pedestrian bridge going over the train line so I, I used to go and stand up on there and take photos of the aircraft going over and a few people asked me what my, what i was using as a zoom lens and i, I just said nothing in a normal camera because i was that low <laughs>
0: mm, as long as you weren't standing here taking photos of the trains that would be rather disturbing no i'm not a train spotter i'm a plane spotter yeah there's nothing wrong with being a plane spotter as we all know
1: Indeed. Well, speaking of planes to spot, what about the uh, this whole thing about the Aleutian 76 water bombers?
0: Yeah, now just a quick story that we um, we found here. I actually found this on the 9MSN website, uh, but it's, it was covered quite extensively a couple of weeks back, or actually on, uh, let's say, mid-October. And uh, it's talking here about an offer by the uh, the Russians to supply some water-bombing uh, Aleutian 76 aircraft to Victoria back on Black Saturday now for our overseas listeners who perhaps might not be aware February this year saw some of the worst bushfires perhaps the worst bushfires swept through the state of Victoria. Uh, several hundred people were killed. Thousands of houses were destroyed. It was a terrible, terrible time. And uh, there was a, a, a large number of uh, aircraft, uh, water-bombing aircraft. They have uh, the uh, Ericsson air crane people are out here water-bombing. Uh, the Elvis and, and other uh, rotor aircraft such as that are out here dropping water. Well, it's saying here that the Russian government had offered two Ilyushin 76 aircraft, uh, it says here, capable of dropping 42 tonnes of water and retardant at a time, and saying that the Victorian government refused those aircraft to come out here. The Russian Aleutian 76 jet is one of the world's most advanced water bombers, with a capacity five times that of the Elvis Sky Crane helicopters. During February's Victorian bushfires, an offer of its
1: services from the Russian government was rejected, according to the Russian embassy in Canberra.
0: Emergency Management Australia has explained that many such offers of international assistance during disasters are forwarded to the relevant states. However, both Victorian government and CFA sources claim to have no record of the offer. In comments to the Victorian bushfire's Royal Commission last week, the Russian ambassador to Australia... Alexander Blokin, said that two of the aircraft would have been enough to cope with the firefighting task near Melbourne in February 2009. Yeah, I'm pretty sceptical about that. We've also seen over in the United States, guys, I don't know whether you've seen some footage there of some 747s that have been converted to be used in uh, wildfire fighting over there.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's the Evergreen Aviation 747. There's also a DC-10 stooging around as well. But uh, the article here is saying that uh, apparently the, the large water bombers are helpful to fight fires and shreds. Trubby terrain, whereas Victoria's worst fires were in tall forest. So uh, yeah, they're saying flying heavily loaded multi-engine jet planes slowly at heights of 500 feet in mountainous and possibly smoke-obscured terrain poses enormous safety considerations.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's that, that's an interesting take on that too. I, I'd probably just say too that it's by, by the time that offer w- was made, according to this article, it would have been too late. And all your listeners would know that I'm in the CFA. We were involved in that firefight around you know at that time and. To be honest with you, nothing would have stopped that fire. Yeah. It was a very generous offer by the uh, Russian government and, you know, a lot of other nation states would have been offering help as well. And as Australia does, when there's fires in other parts of the world, you know, regularly firefighters from here will head across to the US or other parts of the world where they're needed. To be honest with you, it wouldn't matter if you had 20 of those aircraft. The fuel load on that day was of such an extent that it was it was just one of those once every 25 year sort of things that yeah. happened. Uh, that doesn't make it any easier to talk about. but sadly nothing Would have stopped those fires that day I I can tell you that's just the way it is and, and bringing those aircraft in, you know, it's not just a matter of them turning up and saying, "Here we are." You know, there's probably CASA approval that has to go through and some sort of bureaucratic paper trail to yeah. organize for that to happen. You've got to set up facilities for those aircraft to be to be serviced. Uh, obviously, when they're flying through uh, smoke like that, where there's a lot of particulate matter up in the air, that's not good for the engines. So, aircraft that are flying in there require pretty intensive maintenance when they're when they're engaged in firefighting operations like this. So, it's it's not just a simple matter of saying, "Look, here we are, over we come." It would be nice to think that could be the case but uh, you know perhaps it's something that you know the authorities could look at for the coming fire seasons in fact um, as we record this podcast the official start of the fire season is today
1: Yeah well they're saying though that uh, the Russians haven't put any bid for the tender arrangements for this season um, they currently have four locked in Uh, the two uh, US-based S-64F Skycranes and a couple of S-61 helicopters from Sikorsky coming out of Canada. One of the concerns they've got about using these large aircraft that can dump so much is that the safety issues for people on the ground in the area, because water drop from that height can break trees off, damage equipment and injure or kill people who are hit
0: by it. Yeah, that's true, and I've been up pretty close to some uh, retardant drops and water drops in in years past, and it's pretty surprising how how heavily that, that water does come down to the ground i mean it doesn't doesn't just sort of fly down in a mist it sort of <laughs> crashes down pretty heavily and uh, you wouldn't want to be standing underneath it that's for sure
1: Yeah, no, they're trying to soak it and mm. yeah you, they, these guys like you i've seen the um the footage of the evergreen 7.4 dumping its load and it's like
0: holy crud that's a lot of water. Coming up after the break the Royal Flying Doctor Service goes jet setting, Baz presents his recreational aviation report and the Royal New Zealand Air Force A-4 Skyhawk Fleet is in combat again mm, with the US State Department Stick around, we'll be right back
1: Give your business a professional edge with promotional solutions from audiovisual media. Jingles, Jingles radio, ads, radio ads, television ads, television ads, stunning visual presentations, cards, brochures, and catalogues available in print or digital media such as CD or DVD. Audiovisual media. A complete solution to your business promotion. Visit our website at www.audiovisualmedia.com.au or call us on 0407 091 524.
0: At PCDU, we actively encourage participation from our audience. To leave a comment or suggestion, or for further information on how you can support the podcast, please visit our website at www.plaincrazydownunder.com. And welcome back, folks. We're going to now move off into the section of uh, general aviation and recreational aviation. Grant we will uh, kick it off by talking about the centenary of powered flight celebration in Oz at uh, Digger's Rest next year. That's right. A
1: couple of episodes ago, we interviewed Owen Zupp, who's going to be flying a uh, Jabiru 230 all around Australia as a celebration of the centenary of powered flight. But the actual centenary powered flight is going to be on March the 18th to 21st at Digger's Rest in Victoria. And it celebrates when uh, the actual time when Harry Houdini flew an aircraft here in Australia. So lock the dates in now. It's at uh, Digger's Rest in Victoria. So if you go to www.houdini.diggersrest.com, and don't worry, it'll be in the show notes. That'll give you all the information about what's coming up and uh, what to expect. So... We're going to try and see if we can juggle getting to that prior to going to Red Bull in April.
0: I'm pretty sure you can link to that off uh, there on back.com.au as well. I notice uh, there's a link to Owen's website, so I'm sure Owen, if you've already had a look at Owen's website, and perhaps you've got it bookmarked like every good Playing Crazy Dan Under fan should do. Oh, yes. I'm subscribed to his RSS feed. Yeah, I'm sure you can probably just link straight to it from there, but uh, yeah, Grant and I plan to be there at uh, Digger's Rest, is not that far outside of Melbourne, so short drive out of the city, and uh, yeah, we'll be there to uh, join in the celebration, so yeah, if, uh, keep that one in your diaries for next year, I know it's a little while away, but the uh, website's sort of gone active, so we're going to start uh, plugging it semi-regularly, yep. I think that's worth doing. So we'll leave that one there, and uh, let's move off into uh, another story we found here again in the Australian Aviation website this week, talking about the Royal Flying Doctor Service grant. Uh, and best, they've entered the jet age
1: yeah it's a bit of a big jump there we've just gone from discussing the centenary of the first powered flight in australia and
0: yeah it's one extra
1: the other (laughs) yeah now here we've got the royal flying doctor service who uh they they started doing their operations with old uh tiger moths and de Havilland drovers and and older aircraft back in the 30s and 40s and now suddenly we've got them uh flying a jet aircraft which is great it's a uh, hawker 800 xp and it's uh sponsored in part by rio tinto so it's known as the rio tinto a life flight jet and it's registered VHRIO that's Victor Hotel for Australia of course and Romeo India Oscar.
0: For those of us that are over on the east coast of the country I don't know how often we'll see it Um, it's it's going to be based at Jandercott over there in Perth so uh, Perth obviously being the largest state in the nation uh, a lot of distance to cover there and uh, the very large proportion of that being rural you can certainly appreciate how having a, a you know a much faster aircraft like that is uh, really going to be a, a big boost to the RFDs. That's that's really good news. They're going to be using it to uh, transport passengers around Western Australia and
1: also the Indian Ocean territories. So that'll that'll definitely give them a bit of a sprint power.
0: That's,
2: that's, that's one of the reasons they uh, they originally gave for wanting it because they could they could do the distances, but this way they can just do the distances a lot faster, uh, which you know will result in people getting into specialist hospitals a lot quicker than they than they used to. It's interesting here in
0: uh, the bottom of the article here, guys, it says that uh, the aircraft, or uh, well, it's actually going to be based at Perth Airport, and uh, the flight crews uh, are actually from a an outfit called Marumba Airlines uh, and the RFDS will provide the medical staff. That's a little bit interesting I, I wonder, um, there'd probably be a few of the RFDS pilots that would be pretty keen to fly it themselves. I wonder I wonder what the arrangement is there.
2: I reckon that the uh, it won't get that many flights as, uh, as their, their current planes do and probably just makes more sense to have uh, pilots that are already there probably flying this type or other operators there just to have them on standby and come in and fly the aircraft.
0: Use more as an an adjunct to the uh, existing service, I guess. Because you wouldn't. You, oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, they're not going to operate that onto little rural, dusty strips in the middle of nowhere.
2: That's for sure. Now, for the for the weekly uh, <laughs> dental clinic. No, I don't think. Uh, uh, no, it's, it's suitable for that. for that.
0: Talk about doing it in style. I imagine if they did do that, yeah. yeah you definitely want a dirt kit. Uh, you know, like a gravel gravel kit for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, that's some yeah.
2: Uh, some chicken wire in front of the uh, jet intakes. <laughs> <laughs> with a bit of yeah,
1: staple it on around the. Entrance. I'm sorry, man. I'm just I'm just seeing visions of rural bodgy jobs where uh, you know you are out in the middle of nowhere. You have got nothing around. You do whatever it takes, whether a piece of wood, a you know a bunch of chicken wire and a staple gun. You know,
2: make There's something. a bit of there's a bit of MacGyver in every Australian station owner.
1: Oh, I tell you, it's it's amazing seeing some of the things they've come up with just to keep equipment running and keep things going. When it's broken down, you know, 500 miles equivalent from home, and you know, that's there's a lot of people don't realise, but we've got properties the size of Texas in Australia, and uh, you know, you're out a long way from home when things break down. You just use whatever's available. So yeah, the the idea of this jet with chicken wire on the engines, it just it, it works, you
2: know, it really
1: well, does. Well,
0: that sure gets now should get our Texas listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: now at least, if the station owner himself breaks down, uh, he'll be uh, he'll be quicker uh, to get to uh, somewhere where they can fix him up. Yeah, there, there you go. go. <laughs> the station owner went unserviceable, so. <laughs> We need to bring in a spare part. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, shall we move on to our next story here, also in Australian Aviation this week? It sounds like we're uh, being sponsored by them or something. <laughs> We've been going, but that's not the case. But, Don't tease. Yeah, yeah, that would be our dream. But uh, no, not at this stage. But uh, there's another article that uh, yeah, is kind of interesting here, talking about the last Super Beaver aircraft going out of service. On that's with the really six, uh, saying here it's witnessed the passing of an era with the undertaking of the last spreading of super phosphate by a DHC-2 Beaver in australia so hmm.
1: yeah that's right it had to happen eventually but uh, uh they're still running i believe they're still running beavers in uh, sydney on floats but this was the last one flying super phosphate and doing top dressing and so on so end of an era there mm. i'm just having a look to see what uh sydney seaplanes are flying and uh actually they may not be flying the super they're flying the classic
0: okay. hang on. And while Grant madly searches through his database to see if there are, in fact, any of them flying in uh, Sydney, uh, just a bit further down the article here, it's probably worth mentioning that uh, the first super beaver, quote-unquote, came into service in uh, October of 1957. So they've been around a while. and uh,
1: Yeah, well, they certainly have. I've got the registrations of the uh, the Sydney Seaplanes the beavers they're flying, their um, ex-aquatic airways and so on. Just give me a sec here and I can look it up. Do we want me to look it up and... If we get our facts right.
0: We have a number of plane spotters and, and purists and airplane geeks listening. I'm, I'm sure we'd all be interested to
2: know that information. It's not really the last flying one. It's just the last time they're going to use it to spray some crap over some crops. Yeah. yeah,
0: That's basically it's it. We don't need that. We can genetically engineer everything we need now. Oh, dearie me. It's interesting because the one
1: that's uh, the first Super Beaver was uh, VH Alpha Alpha India and uh, the one that's being flown out of Sydney, one of the ones being flown out of Sydney is Alpha Alpha Mike. So it hmm. makes you wonder if a few of them came in in the one batch. Yeah. But uh, either way, it's the last flight of a super beaver spreading, um, working out in the, in the bush, spreading super phosphate and so on. So, yeah, it's a... Uh, well,
0: I'm sure they've got no shortage of egg cats out there and similar type uh, egg aircraft that can, uh, you know... Oh, yeah,
1: they're, 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 that's right. They're using the Crescos these days.
0: Hmm. Um, yeah,
1: so, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a shame. It's at the end of an era, but it has to happen sooner or later for most aircraft.
2: So did it say uh, what it, what's going to happen to this particular aircraft now? Uh, yeah, they... Um, oh, the last of the Super Beaver has been sold back to New Zealand. It's going back
1: into um, Field Air Colors and is going to uh, be yeah. on the air show and reunion circuit. Interesting stuff, but yeah, they, uh, the last flight of the Super Beaver in, in Australia had to happen sooner or later. And speaking of had to happen sooner or later, <laughs> how about... How about the mayor? Now we
0: see segue into that one, Grant.
1: <laughs> well, that's happened sooner or later. The mayor in Perth is getting on the bandwagon and calling for a curfew at Jandicott.
0: Yeah, uh, good lord. The uh, mayor of the city of Coburn, Logan Howlett, told the Fairfax Press that uh, with additional runway movements at the airport rising to uh, an estimated 514,000 movements per annum, it would only be acceptable if there was a night curfew. Yeah, this is this is related to Jandicott wanting
1: to um, uh, set up a fourth runway. So quite a busy little airport there, if it's got four runways. I think it's one of the one of the busier airports in Australia.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, asking only a few episodes back, uh, mainly because I don't know, I've only ever been to Perth once, and um, I didn't go to jandicott I was curious as to how busy that airport would be. Well, it appears that it is, in fact, quite busy. Uh, yeah. Have a look here, guys. The the, the mayor is also saying that uh, he thinks the airport should agree to insulate a number of houses surrounding the airport. So, yeah, the on.
2: nice thing is, just like the uh, the mayor of Salisbury uh, would, would like to see Parafield go and get all sorts of restrictions on it, uh, just like her, the mayor of uh, Auburn, Coburn, yeah. um, he doesn't have much of a say either because both of them are actual leases from the federal government.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So bad luck to both those mayors. You're not yeah. going to be able to cash in on your uh, property development rights that you're itching to get your hands on that uh, property. uh, Jandakot, as it says here, is a major pilot training centre With Singapore Flying College China Southern West Australian Flying College The Royal Aero Club of West Australia Um, They're all operating major training uh, schools there And plus it's also the West Australian base for the Royal Flying Doctor Service And the West Australian Police Air Wing So it's a busy little strip
0: You'd think he'd be happy to have the Police Air Wing so close at hand, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, well, maybe there's something he doesn't want to see happening
0: But anyhow Well, he's a politician Yeah, well there's always that, but uh, we should get yeah. that article across to our friends over at, uh, at Uncontrolled Airspace and uh, maybe get Dave Higden up on his soapbox about that. I mean, it, it's it's interesting to know for our friends in the US that it, uh, that the phenomena that we're talking about here is um, it happens here too, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah,
1: but at least he's not talking about closing it entirely. He's just talking about a curfew because he's worried about the uh, the number of aircraft flying at night. As a new runway, the thing mm. is,
2: uh, an extra runway isn't going to make more people fly it now. It's like, oh, we've got a fourth runway. Now we can use four runways in parallel at night because there's so many night operations well that's right i mean
0: using his logic perhaps he should uh, let as many people as they want fly at night and put a day curfew on
2: yeah exactly yeah <laughs>
0: logical extension of what he's saying here
2: it's just he's just using it he wants you know less flights he wants less nice flights and he's somehow saying that he's trying to make people believe that if this runway is built that there will be more night flights but that logically makes no sense whatsoever
1: well it isn't logic is it <laughs> Not, not when um, emotions kick in and uh, aircraft flying overhead and so on.
0: And you know, as like you said before, it's the same thing with here in Melbourne, with the people living around Essendon that complain about the noise. Well, you know, the airport was there first,
2: buy a house somewhere else. And all the people that live uh, next to a busy road with traffic going by all day long, and then, you know, twice an hour a little airplane flies over and they get all up in arms over the noise there.
1: Well, there were a couple of um, instances in the States. I don't have the exact details at hand, but... Uh, the uh, the residents were complaining about the aircraft noise, so uh, the council came in and set up all the uh, all the noise-measuring devices and said they couldn't hear the aircraft for the
0: traffic noise. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs>
1: yeah, and so that got shot down in flames, so to speak. The, uh, the residents were told to go and stick their heads somewhere else.
0: The Recreational Aviation Report with Baz Sheffers.
2: All right, um... There's a few uh, developments in the recreational aviation front, but before we get to that, uh, first want to mention uh, last week here in South Australia we had the Jamestown Air Show, uh, which is one of the bigger one, if not the biggest one in South Australia, and uh, it was a it was a fantastic day. So we um, all got up early. Got down to Parafield, got into our planes, and we all flew up there. So by the time we uh, we got there, it was uh, it was pretty busy. which uh to the uh, the the circuit frequency there, you know, 10 miles uh, 10 miles out, and uh, it was hard to get a radio call in. But everything oh, happened uh, nice and safely. Uh, it's the first time I've actually flown into something like this at all, so I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I just had done my planning and knew uh, knew where everything was and uh, how I was going to approach. And uh, that turned out great, and it was a it was a lovely, uh, very sunny day, but not hot, and uh, lots of uh, lots of fun to be had by everyone. Cool. And they, uh, yeah. they they run this. Uh, they, of course, they get a lot of support from the, the local council, and uh, they got a lot of uh, funds from previous shows because uh, it you know it does make uh, some money for the uh, for the airfield themselves, plus other donations. They managed to uh, for this year get the entire strip sealed which uh, uh makes a lot nicer place to fly into it also makes it uh, a lot nicer for the uh the bigger uh planes from the rfds that regularly called in there uh and who were present of course as well with one of their pc12s and uh, so it's uh yeah it's a fantastic uh, fantastic airport and i'll definitely be uh, be back there uh, because it's also just a short walk from town
1: oh that's very handy
2: yeah and uh you know everything you expected in the air show was there everything Everything, oh yeah, well, everything we've come to expect at air shows over here anyway. We oh. don't expect the, the, the RAF to show up anymore. Mm. Um, supposedly. You know, on,
0: come what, on, get Come on. What did the RAF do? Come on, get it tell up. Us, tell us supposedly, how you really feel.
2: Supposedly, <laughs> there was supposed to be an F 18 doing a bit of a show, a solo show. And apparently, they even got the plane down to uh, Edinburgh and apparently it even took off and then halfway there it decided that it uh, it needed to turn back hmm. and Bummer. we never saw it. Yeah.
0: Well that, that would be disappointing.
2: Um, so yeah uh, no F-18 for us and uh, no roulettes of course either. They were, uh, they were elsewhere and uh, the only arm or branch of the uh, Australian Defence Force that did show up was the Navy. They uh, they brought a dinghy and they brought their band, made some nice music. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not what you expect to see at an air show. You expect the uh, the Air Force to be there. Oh, I would have expected the Navy could at least supply a helicopter. But uh, we did have a lot of uh, other interesting uh, planes there. Uh, all the, the usual fare on the air show circuit. We had some uh, Kitty Hawks, some Mustangs, some Harvards, some Tiger Moths, and of course, uh, Chris Peru showed up and did his show. Oh, cool! You uh, may or may not know he's uh, he's based in uh, South Australia. He's the master, I oh, reckon. Right. Ah, he's fantastic. Yep. It's yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to see him. And uh, we recently even got a uh, bit of a private. Uh, show uh, just last month when we were down at uh, Murray Bridge uh, where he keeps his plane and where he does his practice. So we were there on Saturday morning and uh, knowing that a lot of us were coming in he'd uh, he'd scheduled his uh, practice session uh, for them and cool. uh, we got to see pretty much the same routine uh, again at, uh, at Jamestown. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it's always, uh, always a joy uh, to see. And uh, one of the cool things that was going on there as well, they had a bit of a mock battle where uh, I think it was the... Harvard, they pretended to be a,
1: uh, a wolf. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard. I've seen a Harvard pretend to be a in zero. In
2: the story, you have to use your imagination, but uh, yeah, it involved uh, it, it involved uh, ground troops uh, trying to take a V two or a V one site, and we had lots of uh, pyrotechnics, uh, lots of explosions, and uh, that was uh, that was pretty cool.
1: Cool. Well, it sounds like you didn't really need. I mean, the F eighteen would be nice, all that would be nice, but it sounds like you had a pretty good show there. I mean, you had a oh, P forty. Yeah.
2: Ah, P yep. forty. Hmm. Yeah. You know. So it looks like the next one uh, that we'll have here in South Australia, as we talked about earlier, will be uh, the uh, the Parafield airshow, which will probably draw an even bigger crowd because, of course, it is close to town,
0: mm. um,
2: and uh, that should be fantastic next year. And I'll I'll definitely be there. Okay. Excellent. Cool. And, uh, moving on, some uh, developments on the uh, recreational front. Ah. Um, Yes, uh, as you may or may not know, there's a new CEO at the helm of Casa, and the first thing he got dumped on him was the uh, the report of uh, uh, the the inquest into the the problems at the GAB aerodromes and uh, the couple of mid airs we've had uh, last year, and he's he's very busy dealing with that, and that is uh, supposedly the excuse for a couple of the new things that were in the pipeline for recreational aviation to be scrapped for now so the first one we had uh, several months ago was controlled airspace uh we didn't want to deal with it right now and um, the second one that got scrapped just last week it became clear that we're not going to get the uh, the weight increase to 760 kilograms uh for recreational aircraft which is uh sad for some people uh, a lot mm. of people were expecting to Get some of their heavier aircraft registered as uh, as recreational.
1: That was all the Cessna owners who didn't want to suddenly become known as, you know, guys flying that recreational aircraft. You
2: know, uh, they, they still had they still had the option of keeping theirs, uh, you know, <laughs> VH registered. But this, the 152 is an interesting point actually because a lot of these older heavier aircraft are just that heavier. They don't mm. actually provide any better capability, and which was the original point made by recreational aviation was that if we uh, if we can carry a bit more gear we can carry more safety gear and develop some 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 tougher planes but uh, uh, which could be true for new developments but of course it's not going to be true for uh, if you bring an old 152 online so still are going to be an old 152 that really barely takes two normal people and full fuel
1: yeah no it's like yeah, the 152 is pretty much outclassed by a lot of the the top ends of the RAOs
0: spectrum now. So, oh,
1: absolutely, they're faster, uh, they're lighter, they carry more, they they go further.
0: Well, yeah. the modern design too, with you know a lot of them have uh, bubble canopies and stuff, much better visibility, uh, and therefore I would think would make a much better trainer.
2: But uh, you know, it's all uh, doom and gloom because uh, some of the things that were in the pipeline uh, for us, uh, they are still going ahead. First, get back to the the, the weight issue. Is that uh, currently The weight limit on recreational aircraft is 544 kilograms, except if it had been certified as an LSA according to the, uh, the, the FAA standards then you could register here at 600 kilograms as well. Now they're going to slightly change that rule and that any aircraft that has a type certificate that says it can be uh, used above 544 kilograms can be registered up to 600. So if you've got a a plane say that was capable of uh, 650 that you were now operating well below its capability at 544 uh, you'll be able to bring that up to 600 and also other planes that uh, you know might uh, like it like a j3 cub it can actually operate a bit more than 544 uh, and i think the extra 15 or 20 kilos that people can now get out of it legally uh, is going to make a difference for difference for those do- for those owners so that's uh at least we got that and that's a uh, that's a good improvement and uh I'm talking about older aircraft right now, but there's also the newer Jabaroos, the uh, you know, the 200 series Jabaroos, which are really the uh, two-seat version of the you know, the 400 series, which were uh, 400 uh, sorry four-seat uh, aircraft. Yeah. Uh, they can operate a lot higher, and as long as their their stall speed uh, remains at uh, at 45 knots or lower in landing configuration, then uh, they can now also uh, move up and and carry a bit more gear in the back, which uh, yeah, that's uh, a good Mr. Zup will uh, probably uh, uh, find very useful if uh, if this rule comes in before he goes uh, takes it flying around Australia.
0: Yeah, yeah, bit of
2: <laughs> And uh, and last but not least, uh, so far uh, recreational uh, aircraft have been uh, limited to. Uh, 20 kilometers offshore or gliding distance whichever is shorter and right in the new uh, regulations we're going to be pretty much in line with most general aviation which uh, will give us 25 nautical miles offshore uh, gliding distance is not an issue as long as we uh, also take uh, flotation devices and uh, and uh, locator beacons uh, wow. so 25 nautical miles it's uh off offshore that means you can make a, a 50 mile crossing which uh will be yeah. very useful uh, if i want to uh say head west from here to uh port lincoln
1: yeah yeah you don't have to go all the way up around the bike you can cut over yeah yeah, yeah. exactly very uh, handy
2: there's a couple of gulfs here in between here and port lincoln that yeah. you can discuss go straight over you know if you uh if you trust your airplane
1: well, that's, that's the, the thing is, do RAOs aircraft have the same problem that GA aircraft have and the engine just knows when it's over water?
2: Yeah, probably. <laughs> M- mind you, mine is, a, is based on, I think, originally a snowmobile design, so I'll be quite happy in the, in the <laughs> <wet> stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, great. You're flying a snowmobile with wings. <laughs>
2: Pretty yeah. much, it's, it's a step up from the lawnmower with wings.
0: I was going to say you probably not you want to you want to be careful using lines like that because uh, yeah, <laughs> it just plays on people's fears about it. Quite a any, anything
2: you say will be mis, will be misquoted and used against you.
0: That's exactly oh. right.
1: Yeah. Hey, I had I've got a photo of Nikolai and uh, Chris, our, our sons, sitting in a Victor. Aircraft, and it has a little Victor lawnmower next to it, going, "Hey guys, this is a Victor, and so is this."
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, if you look at some of the the mega companies from uh, you know Asia, and also you know formerly from Europe, not as mega anymore as they they used to be, that just made everything, everything from toilet bowls to jet airliners. Uh, mind you, I've, uh, the, one of the aircraft that uh, came out of Japan in the 60s was made by Fuji. So I've actually flown one of those, and they're very yep. nice aircraft. Yep. Uh, the guys that make the film that goes into your camera, or you know, used to go into your camera, they made aircraft as well. Yeah, Yeah, they were interesting. You
1: could see right through the wings, but that was a whole different thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, it's been good. Uh, the weather's getting better. So it's been, uh, it's been great to go out there and flying. And, uh, as I mentioned last time in the, uh, in the end notes, the credits, uh, people can reach me at, uh, and, uh, that flying group is uh, is going really strong now. We've got lots of people. Uh, we've got a trip uh, planned for uh, just uh, just in about two weeks. We're going to a place called the, uh, and don't, don't bleep this out, but it's called the Ass's Ears Lodge. In, uh, that's in the Grampians. Cool. And uh, it's basically a, a 1,200 meter uh, grass runway with eight cabins on the side. Lovely. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, we've got uh, probably uh, about a dozen planes going and, well, close to 30 people. And it's, it's going to be fantastic because we've got uh, pretty much everything from uh, home-built uh, recreational planes to an uh, Aerostar 601 that just uh, signed up, which is going to get people there in uh, ooh, about uh, three times as fast as, uh, as I'm going to get there. Oh, yeah. At 16,000 feet, pressurised, air conditioned, and uh, and everything.
1: Yeah, that's that's a nice that's a twin, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's a twin. Yeah, yeah. It's a very
1: nice it aircraft. A star,
2: yeah. I've I've, I've eyed it many times, taxiing past it. It's parked right, uh, pretty much right under the tower at uh, Parafield, and yeah. uh, the owner decided he was uh, he was going to come along with us. Um, cool. So uh, yeah, that's what uh, you know, recreational flying is all about. Although that's not particularly a uh, a recreational aircraft, but the way we see it in. Uh, in our club is if you're flying for fun you're you know you're flying for fun it doesn't really matter what you're flying
1: yeah well, it's, it comes back to that uh
0: personal transport vehicle I was just going to make that point yeah absolutely exactly and that's what it's all
2: about so uh, everyone that wants to uh, all i can say is you know get out there and go and do it and if you're already a pilot and wondering uh uh where to fly if you're in south australia you know, come and join us but uh all uh, only set up your own uh uh, set up your own flying groups because uh you know, that's what uh, that's what makes it uh, so much fun and uh, uh instead of just getting together every once in a while because you run into someone at the airfield and just going off and doing your own thing it uh, the experience now for us is that uh, everyone really enjoys uh organizing these events and, and doing it together
1: cool uh, that's a great way to go uh, getting everyone everyone out and incentivized to go fly for more than just a stooge round the circuit or the dreaded hundred dollar hamburger i mean the or now as it is the 200 hundred-dollar hamburger is always a lot more fun when there's a whole bunch of you sharing in the insanity
2: yeah exactly so uh if i mean if you can find yourself a pilot in the plane uh, you guys you're uh, you're welcome to come along
0: probably on Should the side it? of the grampians for us to drive to but uh... <laughs>
2: Uh, it is. It's actually. It's. Uh, it's just basically straight south from Horsham. That's where it is. Uh, so, so when are you going? Uh, about two weeks time, the 14th of November. Uh, so going to stay there overnight, and uh, we're going to fly to Hamilton uh, first uh, on Saturday morning. Uh, well, the Aero Club there is uh, going to cook us some lunch on the barbie, and then we're all going to uh, take off. Uh, pretty much together, and uh, and fly around the Grampians and uh, to, the, uh, to the Assasiers. Wow. And, uh, that, that way we actually arrive most of them pretty close together at the, at the lodge because we've uh, regrouped at Hamilton. You probably
0: need to uh, do a big uh, trip across here to Melbourne and get out there to uh, tour at an airport, Baz. I don't know whether you've been talking to your friend that flies there, but it would appear as though the entire flying operation there has ceased to exist what since we were last talking they uh they they uh, had some trouble with casser and i know they they lost their cfi so they they could no longer operate as a flying school oh wow that's and i just read in my local paper this week that uh one of my favorite restaurants which is on that field wings and fins has also yeah. closed down so that's,
2: that's closed down a while ago Actually, yeah, yeah. That, that was a while back dude that uh, closed
0: down quite a few months ago at least um yeah, and it, uh, just in the local paper that, that uh, arrived on my doorstep today, uh, basically was closed down by the health department. So uh, uh, that's a bit of a worry. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, a few meals I had there were delicious. So go figure. Anyway, all right, Baz. Well, uh, thanks very much for that recreational report, and I believe you've got to uh, leave us now and head off and uh, head off to bed. So. Uh
2: Oh yeah, I gotta get up uh, get up early, and I got a pretty busy uh, week. So, uh, but it was great chatting to you again, and uh, we'll do it again uh, shortly, and uh, we'll come up with some other cool GA and uh, NRA uh, topics.
1: Cool, thanks, Baz. Really appreciate having you on again, mate. Uh,
2: my pleasure.
0: And of course, you can uh, follow Baz on Twitter. It's uh, Baz Sheffers, isn't it? Baz, all
2: one word. Yeah, all one word. And on Facebook, uh, where it's not all one word, but you know, there's not that many people with my name. So I'll be easy to find on the, on the internets. Cool.
0: No problem. Well, we will uh, talk to you again in a uh, few episodes from now. All right. Have fun. All right. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Cheers, mate. Okay, Grant, uh, let's, uh, before we finish up for the evening, let's uh, move on and cover a few topics in the world of military aviation on this side of the planet. Uh, um, our first story that we want to cover with military this week is dealing with the Royal New Zealand Air Force and... Uh, they're trying to get rid of their surplus A4s. Now, we've discussed before many times and expressed, in fact, our dismay at the 2001 decision of the uh, New Zealand government to scrap their fighter wing and get rid of their A4K Skyhawks. And um, I actually didn't know, Grant, but those aircraft have been sitting in New Zealand in storage all this time. And it looks like uh, they might have a buyer subject to uh, a bit of uh, diplomatic Negotiation.
1: Yeah, that's right. Subject to all the uh, official paperwork, the uh, the A4Ks, uh, 17 A4Ks and 17 Machi MB339 advanced trainers were put into storage at Woodburn in New Zealand. And uh, it was only when they, it was in the last few years when they had to do a lot of work on the C-130s that they actually moved them outside, put them into uh, sort of uh, very high-tech condoms to uh, protect them and so on and uh, they've been shrink-wrapped in the outside world for a while. They've been trying to sell them for a number of years to a company that's believed to be an Arizona-based company that provides air training services to the U.S. military and allies. It's been held up, though, because the U.S. State Department has to approve the sale and also apparently the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, they have to approve the transfer of the ejection seat initiation explosives. So uh, there's a lot of paperwork going on, a lot of bureaucracies and a lot of hold-ups. But the rumor is that finally the Kiwi A4 and air marches will be allowed to be sold overseas and that will be a wonderful thing because it's always a shame to see a beautiful aircraft sitting dormant wrapped up and going nowhere
0: yeah those are pretty old airframes too grant it makes me wonder uh, what exactly they'll end up doing with them should they be able to get them over to the uh, u.s i certainly hope they're not going to be target drones yeah well of course we talked about that on the airplane geeks podcast really and i thought you were going to either strangle me through the phone line or break down in tears. I wasn't sure. but uh, It
1: was both. I was going through both at the time. The it, thought it's, of, it's not so. <laughs> yeah, the thought of a beautiful kitty cart turning, you uh, know, the, the A4 is just to die for, and I love it.
0: And they uh, were pretty heavily modified aircraft, weren't they, Grant? They had, uh, um, yeah. I their, their avionics were pretty much F-16 spec. Uh, yeah, and I only know that because every time they were at an air show the um, New Zealand Air Force person there doing the commentary while they were doing their display would, would mention such facts which I always found fascinating
1: Yeah, I, I always like the last air show I went to in New Zealand uh, back in 1980 and uh, as the P-3 Orion left the commentator said and there goes the second fastest aircraft in the New Zealand Air Force inventory and everyone goes okay, the A-4 is a, is a jet the Strike Master is a jet but one of them is slower than the P3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anywho, it's all. It's, it's good to see that they're finally getting it all together, and hopefully, all the bureaucracy, paperwork, and. Um and claptrap like that can be pushed aside and the sale go ahead.
0: It's a real shame that, that that decision was taken by the government of the day to uh, get rid of that fighter wing. Okay, we know it's a small nation, New Zealand, but you would think being that they're an ally of uh, of, of Western nations and, and do participate in, in, in a number of military operations around the world, uh, I, I would think it would be I mean, for instance, you know, the Royal Australian Air Force was involved in the, um, you know, the, the strike role during the, the early stages of uh, the, the current Iraq conflict. It's, it's making a contribution. And now, really, they're, they're kind of limited, really, to uh, aerial surveillance and uh, peacekeeping and transport and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it is a shame, and I'm sure that uh, many New Zealand Air Force families, of which Grant is one, <laughs> uh, yeah, quite unhappy about that and, and still even though it's been a number of years now i would still be unhappy about that decision
1: yeah well i mean you know it's it's just one more step towards australia new zealand closer cooperation you know, has been mentioned a number of times over here well the kiwis don't have this air force so how about we prop them up with ours and things like that so i don't know it'll be interesting to see where this one goes anyhow speaking of uh things that are interesting to see where they go Let's look at the uh, the A330 multi-role tanker transport that the RAF are using. Uh, as many of you may know, we've, we've spoken about it a few times. There's uh, Australia has bought a few A330 tankers. Uh, these are the equivalent of the KC30 that uh, has been going up against the KC767 in the US, and the Qantas Defence Forces in Brisbane have been uh, converting these A330s across to the uh, tankers the first one or two got done in the in Europe but uh, the third one's just gone into the hangar uh, to be converted across so uh, that will be interesting to watch come together uh, get ready to come out of course the uh, the second aircraft has just recently returned back to Spain to uh, help out with the flight testing and so on because they're they're running out of time
0: when are those aircraft scheduled for delivery? It, uh, that's probably pushed it back with those aircraft uh, heading back to uh, Europe for more trials. So the first tanker is del- due in mid 2010. Yeah, and like we said, uh, you know the RAF really do need some tanking capacity because uh, right now they don't don't have any, as I it. No. So um, yeah, they they need to get those things uh, certified quickly and into service. And uh, you know one of the one of the problems that we have here when we're sending our aircraft anywhere is the tyranny of distance. We're pretty much a long way from anywhere, so yeah, uh, we, we certainly do need you know aerial refueling capability
1: yeah and so we've it looks like we've picked up i think about
0: five the first
1: one was converted over in spain the second one here in brisbane and um, the third one just is now going into brisbane to be converted while that second one goes back to help out with the trials Uh, one contention with these aircraft here in australia is that we didn't get a freighter floor with them they're they're not fully decked out to be um freighters through and through, they're um, they're more transports with freight under hold. There there was the thought that if they had got the stronger floor up front, they could have uh, rigged them for a combi kind of role, so they could carry uh, passengers, VIPs, or freight. Or a mixture of both But uh, it'll it'll work out I guess But at least we'll have that tanking capacity again
0: I just noticed a quick wrap up in the Australian business section recently Grant uh, talking about that tanker That second A330 multi-role tanker uh, Says the inaugural flight of that aircraft uh, Which is the first to be converted outside of Airbus's military home base in Spain Hit a hitch recently when it had to return to base with possible undercarriage problems uh, No further details are available here But uh, Grant have you had any, heard any further news on that development? No. No, no, nothing more than it just had a glitch with the landing gear,
1: which, uh, you yeah, know, these things can happen on test flights, so I haven't so had anything test more. four, you know. To, to get these yeah. <laughs> yeah, find the problems now before production, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, our final, our final military point here is uh, related to um, the Royal Australian Navy seeking helicopters to replace their Seahawks and also to replace the... Um, the functionality that was supposed to be provided by the uh, super sea sprites that they were producing the seahawks are getting long in the tooth the super sea sprites never occurred uh, due to a number of cataclysmic problems within their software development process Um, australia wanted to have the aircraft be the only country in the world flying the aircraft with only two crew anywhere else flies them with three pilot co-pilot and sensor operator Um, australia wanted it all linked into the two crew and uh, that caused massive delays problems and certification issues so um, in the end Australia just scrapped the project and the airframes went back to command who have, um, Cayman rather, who have been off selling them to other people so here's Australia needing to pick up some new uh, ship-borne helicopters, they're currently looking at the uh, NFH-90 the navalised version of the the NH-90 that we already have for the army, First thing that they've got the uh, MH-60R Romeo, which is the, um, the updated Sikorsky Seahawk, the uh, Model R, the Romeo model, which has a lot more capability, capacity and uh, up various upgrades.
0: It says here in the article that we're getting this information from, and once again uh, in uh, this week's version of Australian Aviation Online, um, it's saying here that the MH-60 Romeo could be ready for delivery as early as the fourth quarter of 2011, which when you consider the length of time that the, some of these uh, procurement and development processes take, that's that's actually probably pretty quick. And well, I, it's, I guess uh, it wouldn't take long to it wouldn't take as long to convert crews across to that aircraft cause, um, yeah.
1: about it? well the romeo going from the current seahawk to the romeo is sort of like going from the f-18 to the super hornet as we've done for the RAF. the the 60r is in production now it's in service with the u.s navy it's very similar to what we currently have so it's not a completely new system however its capacity is different it doesn't have quite the same carrying capability as the uh, NH90 does so yeah it's there's always pros and cons to everything but if the RAN follow the same path as the RAAF then I would not be surprised at all to see them uh, winding up
0: with the Romeo. Yeah there does seem, a bit of a, seem to be a bit of a shift lately uh, towards European hardware as opposed to what we would normally do which would basically be to uh, grab stuff off the Americans however it says here also that the team from Lockheed Martin is going in pretty hard and and although this would be uh, this procurement program would be done under a government to government foreign military sale arrangement the Lockheed Martin people are uh, pledging to um, have a pretty good chunk of Australian industry capability put into that aircraft to sweeten the deal so they're going pretty hard obviously it's a very very competitive process and it will certainly be interesting to see how this ends up
1: yeah well that's that's the big thing these days we're seeing it with the F-35 we're seeing it with a lot of projects how much kickback is there for our country to join in how much manufacturing do we get locally and things like that. Cause of course, once it's finished building, you've got the whole ongoing support. We're seeing that a lot up in Brisbane with the Australian aerospace who are doing the tiger helicopter. And now they're building the NH nineties that we're getting. So they've, Assembled locally, not all of them, but uh, you know the first few normally come from overseas. But then they've been assembling them locally, and that has a flow on to the after-sales support and so on. They've got the technology and the skills and the people here that they can uh, provide the ongoing support. So it's a big part of the package whenever we buy some new technology here.
0: And so that's everything we have for you this week on Playing Crazy Down Under. It's uh, been a pretty heavy episode news-wise, folks. We hope you appreciate that. And as always, we appreciate uh, any feedback that you'd like to send us. Our website, of course, is w www.plaincrazydownunder.com and our email address is plaincrazydownunder@gmail.com. at gmail.com Our theme music every week comes to you courtesy of soundsnap.com along with all our sound effects and the track we use is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson uh, You can visit our fan page on Facebook You can
1: find us on Twitter as PCDU You can find Steve online as Steve Vischer on Twitter and Facebook or one word of course and via his blog, www.ozflyer.com, that's F-L-I-E-R. And you can find Grant online as Falcon124 on Twitter, and via his blog, which is blog.flymefriendly.com.
0: And just in case you uh, were at a loss with all those options for ways to find us, you can now also check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash under. Now, Grant and I have been out and about over this uh, previous weekend with Grant's wonderful new Zoom H2 recorder. Is it Grant, a Zoom H2? Yep, that's the one I picked up. It's It may not be the absolute top cutting edge, but
1: uh, for what we're using it for, it's absolutely perfect.
0: Yeah, so we've been out uh, doing some interviews at Moorabbin Airport, and uh, Grant's also been up in Aubrey and Wangaratta flying around on DC3s and having a wonderful time. We've had some interviews uh, there and uh, during that time uh, we managed to get uh, a little bit of video footage from the DC3 uh, so if you'd like to have a look at that, yeah check that out on YouTube. Yep, and
1: uh, I've got to say it was, uh, for the, everyone who's been following my Twitter stream, it's been great to find out that I'm the one inciting um, jealousy in those who are following my stream. Normally
0: I'm the one sitting over here going oh,
1: I wish I could be doing that and now suddenly people are going, oh my god, you're flying it DC3
0: around Australia? God damn, no! Ah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you know, I only got to, put it not for about 20 minutes, but uh, something I've always wanted to do, so uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have a bit more uh, coverage of that coming up, a couple of episodes down the track, when I finally managed to get it uh, edited down and processed.
1: Yep, and uh, yes, I am still trying to work on the Dawn Patrol one, it's been I know, over a month since we uh, did the Dawn Patrol, and my bad, I haven't uh, got it out yet, but uh, we will make it happen, my uh, day job's been getting in the way a little at the moment, but uh, as soon as we can we'll have some more out there for you some more of these special episodes
0: yep and a big thanks as always to those of you who've uh, seen your way clear to uh, provide us with a little bit of financial support uh, we've had a number of donations this week we uh, can't thank you enough for your generosity folks and um, that really does help us to offset our costs we won't get on too much about it this week but to our people who support us that way a really heartfelt thank you and um, we hope that we can uh, provide you with uh, this podcast for uh, a long time to come as a result of that also a, uh, a thank Thanks
1: to Andrew from APCAU for helping out with supplying some of the equipment that we're using and uh, really appreciate that, mate. Um, It's definitely helping us a lot.
0: In the meantime, let's wrap it up there, folks. We'll see you again in another week or so. And until then, just remember this. It's what's down under that counts.
2: I, yeah,
0: I know one That didn't one. work. No, no, Grant. <laughs> for the, the... It's easy for me to say.
1: Wow, go Pammy.
0: <laughs> go Microsoft. <laughs> I'm so not going there.
1: Oh, baby, that was so good. Did
0: the earth move for you too? <laughs> I'm still recording, Grant. Oh, oops. An increased rate of inc- incidences. Incidences? What's the word for that? You can fix that in post, mate. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that the famous comment? Yeah. Uh, Baz, did you send me a link to something, Baz? No, oh, he's gone. We lost him.
1: Oh, have we? oh, my God, we have.
0: Welcome to the world of unprofessionalism.
1: <laughs>
0: and welcome back, folks. Our next one. Un- I'll start again. Can- <laughs> yeah, especially if we can trim this so
1: it sounds like we're doing it. We already know it. Uh- <laughs> oh,
2: <laughs> oh, oh, did <laughs> I say that? Hold on a second, guys. I've got a cat meowing here. I'll, g- I'll give you guys one more chance. Last week, uh, next week. <laughs> last week. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was too tired.